You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown. Over there, Alex Miller. How's it going, buddy? It's going wonderful. We have some fantastic new digs in here. Like, like we actually have real life, great equipment. We are in the process here at the Eagle of putting together a nice little professional studio and, and we have all this new equipment. It's going to be a different room than this, but we decided to set it up and go ahead and start playing with our new toys. So hopefully we sound wonderful. Yeah. No more fast food headset for me. Right. Right. Yeah. So hopefully this, this sounds like the warm tones of a, of a, Fire curled up on a bearskin rug full of sports talk. Just just nice, comfortable, cozy, warm tones. Yeah, and any negative feedback can be emailed to robert.cessna at the Eagle. Of course, always, <laughs> always. So we're going to talk a little bit, get into all kinds of A&M men's basketball as they go into the NIT and as they were left out of the NCAA tournament field. We'll talk to uh, John Puglisi a little bit later about his takes on everything that happened uh, with that. But we want to start out with Buzz Williams because last night after their NCAA tournament win against Alcorn State was the first time that we got to hear from him about not making it into the NCAA tournament field. And he spoke for eight minutes. He read from a statement. He was emotional. There was tears. There was a nine-page book of data that he compiled on why he thought they deserved to be in. Uh, and we just want to go ahead and play all of that uh, so that you can get a good context for some of the things we're going to talk about and and get his perspective on why they were, uh, what, what you might have thought were either snubbed, uh, left out, or, or rightfully left out, depending on who you are and what your fandom is. So uh, for, for right now, here is Buzz Williams last night after the Alcorn State win. So that I can hopefully stay on track and not ramble, I have prepared an opening statement for tonight. I apologize in advance for this taking longer than normal, but for many reasons, I think this is the right approach. And even though I've always answered any question you guys have asked, once I'm finished with this statement, I'm not going to answer any questions going forward on this topic. Because my statement includes all that I'm comfortable sharing. When you are completely absorbed in a worthy cause, you give it all of your time, energy, and emotion. The sacrifice required prevents you from being aware of anything other than the cause you are devoted to. From Valentine's Day through Sunday afternoon, everyone in our program and the families they represent gave all they had. And in a way that I have never witnessed personally or professionally, gave their absolute best on a daily basis. And in truth, as the odds continued to grow against us, found ways to get better and embrace the task at hand that particular day. During that time, we won five of our last six to finish the regular season and won three of four last week while advancing to the championship game of the conference tournament. That ending propelled us to a total of 12 SEC wins for the season. 
We found out Sunday afternoon that those numbers weren't good enough to be invited as an at-large team. We were and are completely devastated and heartbroken. Sad is the wrong word because it doesn't completely express the totality of our emotions. Since our return late Sunday night, I've spent all of my waking hours trying to better understand the data on how those 12 SEC competition-only wins weren't enough. While knowing that the four teams in our league that won more than that were all a four-seed or higher. As I began to do research, the first thing I wanted to learn was how members were selected to the committee and how the selection of those members even worked. In other words, what committee selected the committee? I wanted to research who was on the committee for this year's tournament, their career paths, and how when they were appointed to their position on the committee, so that once they were appointed, what data is it that they study? When, where, and how often do they meet? And when they meet, what are the topics of discussion? And during it all, what metrics do they look at? And what is most important? I wanted to make sure that I studied it all with the lens they do so that I could better understand how what we did this season wasn't enough. I wanted this understanding so I could have an explanation for our players, their parents, and coaches, and be accountable in my relationship with each of them. My phone and TV have been off since we landed late Sunday night, so I'm oblivious to whatever has been said. But similar to how the committee is supposedly sequestered, I wanted to make sure that my research was thorough and I didn't have the opinion of others diluting the information I was gathering. So that this doesn't turn into a math class, I have brought copies of the summary of my research, if for some reason any of you would want one. You guys are welcome to this. Without reviewing all of the numbers again, I have made copies so that you guys can see what I studied. After studying all of this nonstop the last two days and looking at it from every vantage point, it defies logic that we are not in the NCAA tournament. Despite repeated pleas, I have only been given generalities by those above me not data-specific evidence on why we weren't invited. Without logical reasoning behind the decision, while knowing I still must explain this to our guys and their families, it has caused me to lose all respect and faith in the system and those that are in it. What has transpired is wrong. I am so sad for all of the young men in our program. especially those who decided to stay at Texas A&M with their COVID year of eligibility.
The process is obviously flawed, and it is apparent that there is way more included that is unseen and unknown in the selection of the 36 at-large teams than what the public is made aware of. Until there is complete transparency and accountability, the system will stay broken, and this will continue to happen. Like many other things I have seen with the NCAA in my career, especially during my tenure here, allowing a personal bias to impact the process should not be allowed. Our players and staff earned a right to play in the greatest tournament in the world. And it disgusts me in a way that I can't articulate that the system and the adults in it prohibited that from happening because several in our program will never have that opportunity again. Despite how disenchanted I have become with all of this, I will always stand up for our players and the families they represent. Regardless of the opinion of anyone, that is the least that I can do. Our focus is now on what we can control, and I will answer any questions about tonight's game. Welcome back, everyone. That was Buzz Williams giving his take on what happened with the NCAA tournament. Now we have uh, John here to join us and uh, break that down. John, when you heard what Buzz Williams said last night, compiled with what your thoughts were on A&M making the NCAA tournament, what what was your initial reaction? Well, I guess maybe maybe I'll start just from the NCA side of things in terms of, of the Aggies not making the, the tournament, you know, I, um, I was surprised. I, I didn't, uh, you know, going back to when we talked a week or so ago, I didn't think the Aggies would, um, would make an SEC tournament run the way that they did. Um, you know, and, and I certainly had them out of, of the, the NCA tournament based on, you know, they had to beat Florida. They were going to have to beat Arkansas. They were going to have to beat Auburn. And, you know, but when they beat Arkansas, I thought if they can play well against Auburn, not even beat Auburn, but if they can play well against Auburn, I think that that would sway the committee enough to put them in because of their play in the last, you know, eight, nine, 10 games of the year. Um, so I was surprised they didn't make it. But I think when when you go back, and I think this is you know what Buzz got into last night with his press conference, um, and and I don't even think he hit on this. But when you go back, they game losing streak is um, like Buzz, you know, and his presser doesn't mention they game losing streak. Um, you know, he 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 left that out. Um, you know, uh, their non conference schedule. The reality is, is he had eight bye games. Buzz is known for having buy games on his schedule and that non-conference 15 and two, you know, you got a winner in Notre Dame. That's a good win. Butler, unfortunately wasn't very good this year, but they have a win against Butler, you know, a big East team. Um, but their non-conference schedule wasn't good. 
I mean, they didn't beat Wisconsin. They lost to Wisconsin, you know, and then they lost to TCU. If they beat TCU, who's an NCAA tournament team, and then they have this run in the SEC tournament, does that help? I think that probably would help. Mm-hmm. But like the reality is, guys, is like you can't lose eight games in the middle of conference in a row. That matters because the committee's watching that. You know, so I have a lot of thoughts on the things that he brought up and, and you know, how that uh, the, the, the different parts of his, his packet of information and all that. Some of it's super relevant, but some of it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think the coaching community is, is really re- reacting to that. I know the Aggie fans love it. You know, like that's our coach, you know, like this is the guy we want. You know, I'm sure the, the, the players appreciate it. But the com- coaching community is not responding in the same way. Yeah, yeah. What? Well, and, and I know he didn't really mention the eight-game streak. It's in so so this packet which they handed out. The 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 first page is just kind of general net rankings. They have um, the last sixteen at-large bids, quad uh, one, two, three, four records. They have. Um, kind of just some bullet points of comparing comparing A&M to those 16 last automatic bids. And then the final two pages here are kind of, the best way to describe it is, is kind of a summary of what Buzz came out with. And this is where he did kind of address the eight-game losing streak here on the second page. Um, he said his data says that the eight-game losing streak was more difficult than 10 of the 16 teams uh, hardest eight games when looking at their average net rankings. Uh, and then the, then, um, so, so his quote here, his little kind of summary was, we understand our losing streak is the biggest red flag on a resume, but if our losing streak is to be weighted so highly, then our win streak must be held in the same regards. There is 10, two of the 16 teams that had a win streak at any point in the season where the teams they beat in the streak had a better average net ranking than the teams that we beat in the final win streak. Not only that, but similar to the average net ranking, these teams losing streaks compared to ours had a level of competition face that wasn't relatively close to our competitors. 11 of those 16 teams had their worst losing streak opponents net rankings 30 points worse than ours, uh, some even being as high as 100 and to 150 points worse. And I, I get that that that's that's a lot of just data. Uh, and and it, it, to me, it kind of comes across too a little bit as like when Jimbo Fisher had to give his rant about um, the the you know, NIL deals or the rumors of that. Um, you mentioned that I, I know the fans love it. Like you do it for the fans, you do it for your players. Uh, how, how kind of does that come across in the coaching community in general from what you've, you've heard and, and everything like that? Because uh, you know that there, there is repercussions for things like that as well. So I don't think there's anybody. And I actually saw this tweet and I don't remember. I was trying to find it. I, I, I don't know who said it. But I don't know if there's anyone who appreciates the coaching community in basketball more than Buzz. So I say this with by saying that first. Like I, I think Buzz loves to be a coach, and it's what he always wanted to do. And I think he, I think he has, um, I think I, I think he really appreciates the coaches that he he coaches against and competes against. So I say that on the front end. But the reality is, did Buzz Williams call Mike Bray, Steve Peichel? And, you know, uh, the Notre Dame, the Rutgers head coach, did, did he call Jeff Linder at Wyoming? Did he let them know that they shouldn't have made the tournament? You know, like, no, he didn't. You know, the, the, I'm going to, here's their, here's their wins. 
leading up to that eight-game losing streak. Oregon State, who was one of the worst Power Five teams in the country. Northwestern State, who's in the Southland, I think. Dallas Christian, who I don't even know what division they are. Central Arkansas, that is one of the worst low major teams in the country. And then they beat Georgia, who was one in 15, and Tom Crean got fired. They beat Arkansas, which ends up being a great win. They beat Ole Miss. Kermit Davis, if he doesn't get fired this year, is going to get fired next year. And they beat Missouri by three, and Kwanzaa just got fired. So, like, great win streak. We won, what is that, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in a row. Those are eight average to below average wins. And that's part of your 15 and two start. Then you go into the eight, the eight game losing streak. I said that they need to go four and four. Well, they went 0 and eight with losses to Kentucky, played really well. Arkansas lost in overtime, played really well. But then they lost to an LSU team who was playing without two starters. I bet he didn't mention that in his, in his portfolio of, of, of data. They lost to South Carolina, who just fired their head coach, Frank Martin. They lost to a really good Tennessee team, right, who you know, they end up beating in the championship. They lost to Missouri. Kwanzaa Martin just got fired. They lost to LSU again. You know, and then they, they got blown out by, by Auburn. And, and then they, you know, go into their run of beating Florida, but then, and actually, no, then they beat Florida, but then they lose to Vandy. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're talking about being an NCAA tournament team, you have to look at your losses and you lost eight of nine or nine of 10. You didn't just lose eight in a row. You lost nine of 10. So I think the coaching community, and I go back to your original question, sorry for the tangent, But I think the coaching community looks at this and says, yeah, okay, but what about, what about those losses? Yeah. Like, that matters. Who you lose to matters, despite the fact that you play in the SEC. Um, and should you have to play high-level competition when you, you know, like in your non-conference, should you have to play a lot of high majors? Probably not. But you can't play nobody. Mm-hmm. You, you and, just can't. Yeah. And before Alex jumps in on his question, next question, I want to go ahead and and for those who didn't watch our last or listen to our last podcast, John, go ahead and give just just a quick summary. I know you have a coaching background, uh, your your background for those because that 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 gives a little context to uh, your 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 statement on coaching community. Sure. So I I was actually the youngest Division One assistant in the country for two straight years at Wagner College. I worked for former Marquette head coach Mike Dean. Um, the small, low major school in, in, in the Northeast Conference. You may have just seen them get in a fight uh, or their fans get in a fight against Bryant. So, yeah. um, so, so that gives you some, some uh, idea of, of where I was. Um, I became a high school head coach. I had two high major players uh, as a high school head coach out in Los Angeles. I was also an athletic director at a small private school. Um, became a Division II assistant. Uh, I, I then became a division three assistant. I helped start one of the largest AU programs in the country. It's had five or six NBA players in the last five years, um, come out of the, come out of their program. Um, and that coached overseas. So I'm, I've kind of been all over the place. Um, but I'm really, uh, I, I don't say this to toot my own horn, but I'm, I'm well connected in the, in the coaching community. My best friends are all, you know, high level assistants or head coaches at different, different levels. Um, and obviously, I follow the game uh, pretty close here. Of course. 
Well, the fact of the matter is, John, AM's not in the NCAA tournament. It already started last night. They already played an NIT game and won. Uh, Buzz has made his comments. That's not going to change what's already happened. So if you're A&M, where do you go from here uh, in, in terms of making a run in the NIT potentially? So I wasn't surprised at the hangover from last night, right? I mean, they didn't play really play good basketball, even though they were up 15 or whatever they, they were at 20. They, they weren't playing great basketball. Um, I was really happy to see um, Reed Arena have, have good fan support. It was quiet. Um, which I think is, is an issue with, with Reed Arena and their, their home court advantage. Um, it was quiet if you compare that to like the Wyoming-Indiana game or even the, the Texas A&M-Corpus Christi and uh, Texas Southern game. It was quiet in there, um, and I think that probably plays into some of it. Um, but I think they just need to – like an NIT run can be fun. You know, I was a ball boy at Marquette in 1995, um, and uh, Marquette – Miss, it was the year after they lost to Kentucky in the Sweet 16. Um, and and their their head coach had just left. Mike Dean got the job. I was a ball boy that year. And they ended up missing the NCAA tournament. And um, they made an NIT run. And it was fun. You know, my dad went to Madison Square Garden to watch them play in the semis and the finals. Um, alumni came out in droves to support them. They sold out their home games. You know, I hope... You know, I'm sure Buzz has been getting ready for this, right? I mean, he said this is all he's done in his waking hours. I wish he would have spent time game planning for Elkhorn State a little bit more. Um, but, but you know, they're, they can make a run here. And I hope they pour everything in to Quinton Jackson and Ethan Henderson's last games in the Aggie uniform. I think Henderson is a senior. You know, the last games is in, in an Aggie uniform. And, and try and make a run here. Is this a really good NIT field? Um, you know, you saw St. Bonaventure beat Wake Forest last night, or excuse me, Colorado last night. Um, you know, this is a really good NIT field, and this can be really good for their fan base. I know they want to play in the NCAA tournament. I wanted them to play in the NCAA tournament. My my son has been geeked for the national tournament, he keeps calling it, and he wants to know when the Aggies play. And, you know, like, I hope they can make a run. I hope they can really dive in here. I think it was a really quick turnaround for them. The NIT didn't do them any favors, right? It was a really quick turnaround. Um, but I, I, I think they can make a run here, and I think it'll be great for the program. Postseason experience is good. <laughs> that helps. I, I, I kind of equate it to almost like bowl practice in football. That's where you kind of get that experience. You look last night, they play, I don't know how many minutes I have in front of me, but Javante Brown for a lot of minutes there in the second half to kind of get those reps. Also, you can tell your son they, they are in the national tournament, the national in, invite tournament. So uh, there you go. Let, let's back up just a little bit. And I know we talked about that kind of improbable run through the SEC tournament. What did you see that that sparked that? What was different? I mean, I know that they did have a seven game winning streak through that. And a lot of it looked the same. But but what was what was the uh, the, the magic, the, the secret sauce to that to that little run? I mean, I think these guys have bought into their roles. I think, you know, the, the run to end the year really helped them. I think um, the win over Florida certainly springboarded them into, into playing a high-level basketball against Arkansas and Auburn. I think that definitely helped. Um, I think the role de- definition has really come to uh, a final point for this team. They've also decided to go small. I mean, you're seeing Boots Radford and, and Hayden Hefner 
as a high post four, like a, a small four in a lot of situations, Henry Coleman and or Ethan Henderson at the five. This was a great move. I think, you know, and then you have Aaron Cash, right? So like, I think this was a really good adjustment. Um, I love that obviously Quinn Jackson is starting. I think he's, he's really the heart of this team offensively. Um, I also think it's, it would, I'd be remiss to say if I, if, if I didn't mention the fact that Marcus Williams being absent from this team has helped them. Um, Wade Taylor, not that, not that Wade Taylor is a better player than Marcus Williams. Marcus struggled, but Marcus Williams is talented. But the, the difference is, and if you watch games from the SEC tournament or even the end of the year, um, back to like verse, you know, these games and their eight game losing streak, Marcus Williams had the ball in his hands 95% of the time. Every possession started with a ball screen or a dribble to the wing and, and, the ball was in his hands to make a play on every single possession. What they're doing with Wade Taylor is they're having him bring the ball up, but they're also getting the ball out of his hands early. And, and that's big because that allows for movement, that, in, that, um, that allows for uh, post touches, that allows for screening actions and misdirections that they didn't have when Marcus Williams had the ball in his hands for the majority of possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, Travis – the difference is the team on the defensive end. You know, they, they struggled to figure out what their identity was defensively because they didn't know if they wanted to play fast or if they wanted to play slow. And when they, when they tried to play slower to, you know, even though they were 15 and two, but to start the year is they were using that two, two, one more as of a, a way just to take time off the clock. It was really just to make the team bring the ball uh, across half court slower they weren't really trapping out of it. They weren't doubling ball screens. They weren't, they weren't sending guys at, at handoffs. And the switch has been that they're using that in a way to, to double the dribbler. Um, on, a, um, on a pass across half court, they're going and, and they're finding guys and they're scrambling and, and they're really doing a good job there. So I think, um, I think it's been role definition. It's also been offensive fluidity um, and, and, and Wade Taylor being a part of that. And then I think it's, it's the way these guys have played as a connection, as like a collective unit on the defensive end. Yeah. And you want to talk about even Wade Taylor when Marcus, when he was just straight spelling Marcus Williams, uh, it it was kind of all the Wade Taylor show in there with a guy who like had uh, like 30% of the minutes, but like the highest usage percentage on the team. And I think that being able to kind of tame that energy a little bit has been, has been huge too. I mean, it's a great point. Like you don't really think about the idea of having a backup having to come in and then that backup do the same thing as the starter. And that's what you saw in that when Wade spelled, um, spelled Marcus Williams. I'd also say like Hassan Diara has, has been great in his role. You know, like it's really important as a, as a, as a college coach to define roles and then make it so that your players want to star in that role. Because everyone wants to be the star, but they don't necessarily want to be the star in that role. And, and I think what Buzz and his staff has done is they figured out a way to get these guys to star in their role. Um, I think that's what they did in the SEC tournament and, and, and why they were able to have the run. Well, John, you know, kind of look, you, you mentioned it earlier about the NIT field, you know, what, what do you kind of make of AM's potential path? You know, they got Oregon this weekend and then potentially a game against a team like VCU and then 
SMU, it I think would be the matchup in the semifinal potentially if they get to Madison Square Garden. Yeah, um, I mean, Dan Altman can really coach, man. So uh, you know that Oregon team, while it, it isn't the Oregon teams that they've had before, I mean, they beat a really good Utah State team. You know, they were nineteen and fourteen overall. They had a lot of turnover on this roster. These a lot of new guys on this roster. Um, you know, if they can beat Oregon, they get the winner of VCU and Wake Forest, I think, potentially. Um, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I, I'm not sure if VCU and Princeton have played yet or Wake Forest and Towson, I forget. I think VCU beat Princeton last night as well. Okay. But maybe Wake Forest is tonight. Um, yeah, I think so. That's right. You know, I mean, Wake Forest is another team. Like, if they don't lose in the first round of the Big East to Virginia Tech, I believe then, you know, this team is probably an NCAA tournament team. So you have uh, – it's not an easy road here because Oregon is really good, and they're going to come in. Dana Allman's going for his 300th career win. He's had a great career. They make runs at Oregon when they make a tournament. So I, I, I mean, this is going to be a big, big-time game at Reed Arena. It's, it, this is a big deal. Um, you know, and, and I think the field is really strong, you know, like uh, – I really like this SMU team. I don't know if you guys watched the Colorado St. Bonaventure game, but like St. Bonaventure, they don't lose in their conference championship. They're in, you know, like, I mean, there's, this is some, there's some really good teams here. Um, you know, and, and, and the top bracket, I actually think, you know, BYU, if BYU and SMU play, I mean, that winner is, you know, I mean, if it follows chalk here, there's some really good matchups for some great basketball. Yeah. And I mean, I know there was a lot of talk about that Princeton team as a team that could actually even make the final four and they go out in the first round to VCU. seems like a decent amount of parody in this tournament, just like you were saying. Well, yeah, I mean, Princeton won the Ivy league regular season and you know, if the Ivy league doesn't change their rules a couple of years ago and, and start a conference tournament, they're the one who's in the dance and, and Yale's not right. Cause Yale had to beat them. You know, Yale was a three or four seed, you know, and they beat, they beat Princeton. So um, I think, I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of really good teams um, in this tournament. Um, I think the, the teams who missed out on the tournament last four, out, you know, for or first four out first eight out, those kind of teams, like I mean, it's some, it's some high level teams here that, uh, I'm excited to watch this Aggie team compete with. They're going to have to show up here in this next round, um, and they're going to need some support from from the Reed faithful. I got two questions to close it out. One, do you think this is a Madison Square Garden team? I mean, I thought this was an NCAA tournament team. So, yeah, I I think so. I I think, you know, I've said this all along on different shows and, and anyone who will listen. This team has high-level SEC um, ability, you know. So I think this team can be a Madison Square Garden team, and and um, I I think they're going to have to earn it, though. I mean these these games that they got coming, they're going to have to earn it. Mm-hmm. And then second player, I'm really curious about not only moving forward through this NIT, but then moving forward with the program. I'm curious your take on what is the future in in the near future and in the long future for Andre Gordon. 
That's a great question because if you watch Andre, he's struggled. You know, he struggled with his shot a little bit last night. He struggled with some of his decision-making. But, like, I've told anyone who will listen that I think Andre Gordon's – I don't know what he's like in the locker room. I have no clue. But I bet he's one of the best leaders in college basketball. Even though his time, you know, Quinn Jackson moved in the starting lineup and, and Boots went in and Andre Gordon has lost some of his, his, his minutes. Um, I think Andre is, is – uh, a really, really great Aggie. I really do. Um, and I know that's a term people like to throw around. He's a good ag. You know, I, I think if, if you can be proud of somebody, the way that they've represented your institution on the basketball pro in the basketball program, it's a guy like Andre Gordon. Cause he's been selfless. He's taken a back seat. He hasn't played great. And, and, and I'm sure he'd be the first one to admit that, but I'd be shocked if he didn't have a really positive energy in the locker room. I watch him on the bench. You know, as a former coach, like I'm always watching the guys on the bench. Um, and I think Andre's been great on the bench and in timeouts when they show that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know what his what his role is going to be moving forward. He's the only one left from his recruiting class. You know, E-man's at TCU. I have no idea where Easy, easy Goal Taken is. And another guy, you know, who's gone, like, he's the last guy left. And I'd be shocked if if he went anywhere, but also knowing like these kids are comp competitors, like maybe him and Buzz talk and he sees the writing on the wall and he wants to play and he goes to a place like Toledo or Kent state or a place like St. Bonaventure or something like that, where he can really have a huge impact on the court. Like I think really highly of Andre Gordon. Um, I think for Buzz, it, it benefit if he kept him around. Um, Cause I think he's the kind of guy who can spell you in lots of different places. Um, and, you know, it's just a really positive, positive dude but again I never talked to Andre I just I just watch his body language and the way he's um he supports his teammates for sure for sure well I think that's all the time we have for this John if people want to see some of your uh, hot takes on the interwebs if you want to throw that out there where's uh, where's a place they can they can see that yeah it's John Puglisi on Twitter just at John Puglisi on Twitter I'm probably uh filling up timelines right now my my wife keeps asking me what I'm doing on my phone all night um and but uh yeah, I, I, hopefully, you know, there's some – Travis Steele just lost his job at Xavier. There's a lot of stuff that's happening, uh, trying to trying to retweet some good stuff and, and some people who have some good takes on on the buzz situation and, and just college basketball in general. So, yeah, throw a follow to me. I'd love it. There it is. And that's all the time we also have for the My Aggie Nation podcast. First time with our great new studio equipment. I think we made it through. So we'll be back with uh, even better digs, a better backdrop maybe uh, in the near future and with more great Aggie takes. So for Alex Miller, I'm Travis Brown. This is the My Aggie Nation podcast, and we'll see you next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, a way to must have seen. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good love ain't easy, girl, we know that's true. But if we want to keep it, we got to watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. Be.